Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone, and joining me over the interweb today is both Bob Ferranti and Chris Nee. Say hi, guys. Good morning. Chipper, excited, uh, just lively and ready to go. And uh, this is going to be kind of a shorter podcast. Uh, we're not going to, since, since we had the marathon hour one the other day, we're just going to talk about baseball team right now. Uh, the Seminoles are playing an elimination game uh, this evening. We're recording it, uh, the podcast on Wednesday uh, morning, so they'll be playing LSU 7 p.m. in an elimination game. But before we get to that, let's kind of talk about the road uh, to this point, what, what Florida State has done already. Uh, one and one uh, in the College World Series, guys. Take it away from uh, from the the loss against LSU to open the College World Series. Uh, just real quick, I uh, I fell asleep watching the game. Florida State was winning. I woke up, they had lost. So take it from there. I think the first two games kind of define who FSU is and has been this season. The first game was a calamity of errors that led to the loss. I mean that that whole sequence of the bad play and right. The, Poor throw, then the throw home that didn't get there in time. I mean, it was cringeworthy to watch. I mean, even in replays days later, it's still cringeworthy. It's just painful to watch that one play where essentially three errors occurred, even if it wasn't scored that way. Three errors occurred simultaneously almost. Um, I think in a 17-second span, FSU basically went from winning a game to losing a game because they couldn't do some of the fundamental things of baseball. And then they come back, they beat Cal State 4-10, play a pretty clean game overall. For a big part of the reason they won. They were very patient at played against a team that doesn't walk a lot of people, and it paid off for them. So, you know, it, it is who FSU is in Omaha. Um, you know, they're never too sharp in the first game. They tend to struggle. They're about a you know, sub-500 team out there all the time. And uh, this Sears team, you know, mirrors what they've done in Omaha as well. Oh, the pitching was was about as good as you could expect given the, the quality of the competition. I mean, Holton really was in trouble just because of errors around him and, and his own, you know, not covering home plate on that play where Cal Raleigh, you know, couldn't handle the ball. And, and you know, Parrish for a freshman, again, he, he pitched pretty well, um, didn't have his best control, but, you know, for him to go, you know, pretty deep until he, uh, he gave up that double that could have been grabbed by Flowers. It was it was a close play, and Flowers kind of snow-coned it. And then the home run, I mean, you kind of felt like Parrish could have gone seven, and that would have been a really smooth game, and instead it it kind of took a turn there. I I, I was still really impressed that, that Florida State kind of stuck to their uh, their philosophy and decided not to swing away in the seventh, and they, they took those bases loaded walks. I don't think there's another team in the country that does anything like that in that situation. I mean, you're you've got to be a little bit aggressive at that point, but but instead they weren't, and um, you know, Fortin just didn't didn't want to pitch him, didn't want to give him strikes, and and it it was really kind of stunning how that you know that that pitching staff took that philosophy of we're not going to put anything near the plate, and uh, and Florida State you know made him pay. Yeah, you typically. Um... Yeah, you, you don't see a team in a pressure situation always kind of stand to uh, or stick to kind of its guns there and does what you know do what, what got them to that point. So for Florida State to do that, uh, to get a win, obviously when it had to with that season on the brink, I think uh, I don't know. I'm trying to get a gauge on this team, and it's kind of it. it at this point, it's fair to say I mean, this team is is it mentally tough or is it mentally fragile? It just seems like you have the LSU game where things kind of fall apart, and then you have the next game where it kind of uh, toughens up. I just I can't get a grasp on it, and that may be kind of what you were alluding to, Chris. Is like it it could be either way with this team. I think we don't know from game to game. 
I, I don't think they're the type that folds. Um, so I guess I wouldn't say they're not mentally tough. Um, but they're also not like, you know, insanely focused upon doing everything correct, every pitch to pitch, you know, basic things like pitcher fielding position. We've seen a couple miscues with that. The miscues in the field, the bad base running blunders. Grew up. I mean, it's just kind of who they are. They're almost bad news bears at times. Well, they can also play some real good baseball at times. You know, you got to take the good with the bad. We've watched this team for 60-plus games now. You just kind of have to accept they are what they are. And, you know, they're going to turn in some great moments, and they're going to turn in some moments that make you want to just punch a wall. It's just who they are. And I, I think because they've done that for so much of the year and they had the struggles they did in the middle of the year and the success they had in the back end of the year, I think they're a relatively loose bunch when things go to hell. You know, I don't think they tighten up or get, you know, to the point where they're not going to be able to come through. They they tend to play 27 outs every time out. Even when they lose games, they make it interesting in the end. It's very rare that you see them just kind of fold up the tent and go home. Do you like the bad news bears analogy there, Bobo? Yeah, I think that works. It, it's, a, it's a weird team, man. I, I don't quite know how to, to say it. I mean... They're, they're fun to watch at times. They're frustrating to watch. Um, you know, I think they've, they've gotten this far in the postseason because the pitching has, you know, set them up to be successful. And that's, they were not successful as, as a starting pitching staff for, let's say, February, March, April. It, it just wasn't clicking at all. And now they're sort of getting that pitching that they never had. But now the defense is, is at times letting them down and, you know, we saw that that crazy kind of uh, bunt the other day on Monday where nobody decided to even field it. And I don't think we got a straight answer from Mike Martin post-game, for example. He said, you know, we made a boo-boo, but he, he clearly didn't want to put it on anybody. But I think in that situation, I felt like Parrish should have pounced on it. Some others have felt that Cal Raleigh could have, you know, made a, made a play on it too. But the fact that nobody knew what to do in that situation – and you're, what, 65 games into a year, that's that's pretty pretty concerning. But it's not like it's solely this year. FSU's issues with fielding and base running is something that we've seen consistently now for several years. Different players, different faces, same coaches. So it's just sort of what they are. They're not the most fundamentally sharp team that you're going to find. They're just not that. And they haven't been for some time. But they tend to overcome it. Their you know, plate discipline is great. In general, the pitching has been good, especially down the stretch, especially the starters. They've gotten a lot of quality starts during this run in the back half of the season. So, you know, for every bad thing we can note, I feel like there's a good thing. I feel like too often people just trounce on the coaching staff that they're incapable of doing anything well. You don't have the consistent success that the coaching staff has had at a high level without, a, you know, knowing the game of baseball. Now, there are things that can do better without a shadow of a doubt. Are there things that are frustrating and are consistently an issue over a several year span, without a doubt. So I understand those, but you know, FSU is one of the six teams left playing baseball right now. And if they win today, they'll be one of the four teams left playing baseball at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, how much can you really hate on a team that at the end of the day has kind of lived up to what the expectation of one of them was at the beginning of the year, this regardless is, of how the middle played out. Kind of the we we talked about this a little bit before, but it's almost like this uh uh, fan base can kind of project the Bobby Bowden years onto this. You start seeing things going downwards, and it, you know the results this year. Uh, look at the full picture; have been great for Florida State, even with a rough part of the year. 
Um, but you see trends like like Chris alluded to with base running or, or fielding and things like that kind of going. If they were always that way and that was just the hallmark of a Mike Martin team and it was reckless, I think people would probably just kind of be okay with that. But you see some kind of you know, digression there. Um, that maybe is the reason for concern. I don't know. That's just kind of the feeling I get is people start getting kind of antsy when they see see a, a trend like that develop over a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm a firm believer with the baseball program that you kind of have to take a good with the bad or the bad with the good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it is what it is. People, you know, every time they're losing a game, people are like, "Run Mike Martin out of town." Man's got to coach next year. There's a 99.9 percent chance. He's going to be the baseball coach next year. He's going for a record. It's clear that the, uh, you know, university, Stan Wilcox, and those involved in that such decision made that decision more than 12 months ago that he would be allowed to coach for the record. And truthfully, a guy who wins 40 games for 40 straight years, if you fire him, you look like an asshole. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's what it is. People just need to accept it. Uh, you would think four decades into a guy being your coach, you know what he is. You know, I, I'm a firm believer Mike Martin will never win a World Series. I don't think Mike Martin's a bad coach because I don't think he'll ever win a World Series. I just am a believer of that after watching, you know, the Miami 99 game and other runs out there in Omaha that came up short. I'm just a believer that he won't win one. It is what it is. But at the same time, you look at the success of the program under him. You can't just, you know, make that huge jump of, oh, the grass is greener. We should go hire this other guy. He'll do great. All of a sudden, you become Tennessee where you can never consistently win baseball games. You know, it's it's not as easy as just snapping your finger. So, I, uh, you know, I veered off course a bit from what we're directly talking about. But I, I just find it funny that when the LSU game went to hell, the fan base followed it. Many in the fan base followed it, and it's just kind of foolish to me. At some point, you got to accept what your baseball team is. Like the things they did to lose that LSU game, we had seen, yeah, at least a handful of times during the regular season. Maybe not directly, you know, three succinct errors on the same play. But you'd seen where the team would just hand away the outs and give free bases and allow runs to score that shouldn't be scored. It is what it is. Like, at what point do people just accept that, you know, I'm a fan of this team. I watch this team. I know what this team is. Like, I I don't get why there's a mental block for some people that suddenly think this team's going to become fundamentally sharp. That ain't happening. Well, I think people kind of will look, and this is not all, it could be a vocal minority, but I do think that that it's kind of like almost like an echo chamber and, and you're watching it through this microscope, through this prism of, of you're watching that team all the time. So you see what's wrong with them. Every team in the country has something wrong with it, except for like maybe Oregon state. That's just destroying everyone right now, but everyone has flaws. Yeah, Oregon state's insanely good. Yeah. I, uh, I was trying to think the other day I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a longtime baseball fan, college baseball fan, FSU fan, but he's also just in general, a college baseball fan. And it's tough to come up with a team that we've seen that's just been as flat-out dominating as Oregon State. I mean, they have four losses. That's insane to think about in this day and age of baseball where, you know, mid-majors sneak up on you on the midweek and take a few from you. Florida, who's a great team, who I think will probably play Oregon State for the national championship. You know, Florida has plenty of losses this year that are tough to kind of explain. But at the end of the day, Florida's pitching is so good that it's allowed them to get there. But Oregon State just seems to be complete, like – you know, I, I didn't get to watch them a whole lot in the regular season, but watching them in the postseason, their lineup top to bottom, I don't feel like there's truly a weakness, and their pitching's very good, and the coaching is at a high level, and they are a team that's extremely fundamentally sound. You don't see them really do anything. The, the only knock I really have on Oregon State that I have figured out is they're pretty much a singles-happy team. 
They don't have a lot of extra base hits, but they get a lot of base runners. They're aggressive on the base pads. They do a lot of first to third off of singles. So they're impressive. They know what they are, and they're very good at being that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think they're the ones that are going to hoist the trophy out there. And I felt that way when the postseason started, too. That's the team that's on the, you know, if, if Florida State does beat LSU, then you have to go and beat Oregon State twice, correct? Because Oregon State hasn't lost yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you play them on the 23rd, which is Friday. If you win, you play them on the 24th. Um, winner take all, move on to the College World Series finals. And, uh, you know, it's baseball. Baseball's a weird game. Things can certainly happen. But Oregon State just doesn't lose. They find a way to win. I mean, they're on an insane winning streak to close out the back of the season. They took out LSU, who was also on a very good winning streak after beating FSU. They're just, you know, I think it's tough to watch them and not say, especially after that 13-1 LSU game, to not say that they're the odds on favor. Yeah. No, they are. I think they're the what Yale is doing. Uh, Yale Analytics keeps tweeting out these uh, these interesting tidbits on on the odds, and it's Oregon State by far has the best odds of anyone. Uh, so let's go back to the loss against LSU. And Bob, you've written a lot about you know the pitching and kind of how Florida State's balancing things. When you lose and go into that losers bracket, I guess um, maybe it's not the next game, but but when does that start catching up to a team? that sticks around with depth of pitching, uh, eating into the bullpen, arms being tired, that kind of stuff. Is, is it uh, to the point where it can start impacting Florida State, or is that, you know, if they win maybe uh, in a couple games from now? I think the, the big bonus to the College World Series, the way the schedule's set up, is that you've got a day off in yeah. between games, so you can you can kind of catch up and, and get everybody, you know, rested and, and ready to, to move on for the next game. The, the big thing is, obviously, there's a huge difference between Tyler Holton and everybody else that Florida State has. It's it's really not even close, and not a knock on who they've got, but it's just, you know, Drew Parrish is a young pitcher, and he's still, I mean, really just begun to hit a stride in May. And Cole Sands, who's going to throw tonight, you know, again, he's, he's a guy who has not gone deep in the game, so you have to expect he's going to go four innings, you know, I think they would love to get five out of them and then go to a guy like Andrew Karp or Will Zierzel. So, But, yeah, everybody's at a disadvantage. If you lose that first game, I think it really puts you behind. You know you've got your backs against the wall and you've got to just do whatever you can to win that next game. It's a huge advantage guys like Oregon State and, and Florida right now have, and I think they're clearly in the driver's seat just because of the days off that you get. You can rest a lot of your players. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, again, Cal Raleigh, catcher, has just been banged up and, and hurt all year. I think he's enjoyed having a day off between games. But, you know, it, it doesn't get better for a lot of those guys unless they have extended time off. Yeah, the, the one thing I'd add on the pitching is that FSU is actually in a pretty good spot for a team that's coming out of loser's bracket. Um, you know, Holton went 112 against LSU, but if FSU makes it to Friday – I don't think it's out of question that he could start. I mean, he'd be on a healthy amount of rest. It's not a tough turnaround for him. He's a guy that I think handles start-to-start recovery pretty well. Um, And then after him, you know, Drew Parrish is really the only guy who's probably burned right now as far as not available for them. He threw 74 against Cal State Fullerton. You know, he could maybe give you an inning or two, maybe 30 pitch total right now if you needed him. But outside of him, everybody's pretty much available. Albert threw four against LSU. Carlton threw five against LSU. Haney threw six against Fullerton. Bird threw another 18 against Fullerton. 
So he's thrown 22 pitches total in his two appearances. And Carlton threw 21 against Fullerton, giving him 26 total in his two appearances. So all of those guys, I think, are very easily ready to run out on the mound. They're readily available. Uh, then you got guys like Jim Voiles, who, you know, Voiles is what he is, but he's a 26-appearance guy. He knows what he's getting into. Carp, who has, you know, starting ability. Will Zerzow, who's kind of the dude wearing the cape in the dugout, who just makes an appearance once in a blue moon and might do something. And then you got a couple of lefties in Grant Stewart and Clayton Kwiatkowski, who we haven't really seen in the postseason. But if you had to run them out there, they're available. They're on the postseason roster. So they could give me an inning or two. So I don't think pitching is going to be what brings down FSU in the end, um, at least from their side of the aisle. I don't think they're going to have you know bad outings. I think if Sands can give you four or five today, that's quality. You've got enough bodies to get you to the ninth inning. Uh, and then you can get back to Holt and potentially even back to Parrish if you're playing on Friday. And then uh, the next game would be on a what Sunday or Saturday. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm mixing up my day. Um, next game would be Friday. Following game would be Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have the potential of running back Holt and Parrish if you need to. Or if you can still a guy like a Zerzow or a Carr, you could throw them out there. And, you know, mix them in with Holt and flipping those two days in some form or fashion. So they have the pitching to come out of loser's bracket. Now, I think when they got into the World Series finals, there would be in some issues there, especially if Holt and Byrne. But, uh, you know, you play to get there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little little bit ahead of us <laughs> right yeah. now. Why don't they just throw out Zierzow and just let him go a complete nine innings and just give up a run or two? Like, that seems like the strategy. If I were Mike Martin, I would kind of I'd kind of go to. I, I mean, I think Zerzow's kind of the, if Sienz has a bad day guy, yeah. you know, you, you could see him throw extended three, four, five innings. Him or Carp, I think, are both guys that could kind of fill that role. Yeah, Cole Sands enters the matchup rating from your article, Chris, uh, with a 6-3 and three record and a 5.05 ERA, and he's going against a senior lefty in Jared, I think it's Poche. Uh, yeah. P-O-C-H-E. FSU, FSU saw Poche in the first LSU game. He mm-hmm. threw about 30 pitches against him and kept him pretty well off balance. So they have some experience with him. You know, had the opportunity to get most of the lineup through against him. So we'll see if that pays off. But he was effective against FSU in his first appearance. He's 11-3 and with a 3.33 ERA. So uh, certainly it uh, seems like he's got experience and he's been productive. So it won't be easy for Florida State today, I think, is kind of what we're getting at. Um I guess predictions, guys, not like you, <laughs> this team has been unpredictable, but what are your thoughts on, on tonight's game? I, I'm of the opinion LSU wins. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like they have the pitching advantage going into the game. You know, I think they have a little something where they got to get it off their back after getting shellacked 13-1. to But at the same time, FSU needs to rebound after losing to LSU in a game they should have won or probably should have won. So I think it's a little bit of a toss-up, but if I had to pick one of the one of the two, I would pick LSU. But I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to kind of mirror that first game, hopefully not with the calamity of errors and such, but as far as being kind of a tight, competitive game. Bob? Yeah, same way. I think it'll be a tight, competitive game. I think we'll see more pitchers. I think the uh, coaches will probably have to go to the bullpen early. I, I don't think we'll see Poche go very deep today. I don't think Sands is going to go beyond – Probably four innings. I, I think we'll have to see a guy like uh, Carper's ears out come in and, and pitch two or three innings. I I can see Florida State winning today. The defense has got to be much better. You can't make kind of silly mistakes and, and expect to uh, to stick around and eat steak in Omaha. I, I think they'll they'll win today. 
I, I have a feeling the run ends at least Friday night. I'm not sure Oregon State is going to uh, give them any chance to uh, to extend this thing. So I think the run ends, you know, Wednesday or, or Friday. But um, something just tells me that this team has one more win in it and uh, they get to Friday at least. All right. So uh, real quick before we go, um, NBA draft, I think, is what, Thursday, right? It's tomorrow. Um, yep. I'm a Magic fan, long-suffering NBA Draft.net currently has Jonathan Isaac going six to the Magic. What do you guys think? Over, under at six for Jonathan Isaac on uh, on Thursday? I, I think that's the first spot where it's very likely he goes. I think there's a couple teams before that that would give him a fair look, but it seems like the stars are aligning for that top five to be a consistent five players, and then Isaac's the next man up. I think most people consider Isaac maybe the most – you know, undervalued guy in the sense of when you're talking superstar potential in there, like the guy that's going to do more in the pro game than he did in the college game. I think that's the best way of describing Jonathan. So, yeah, I, I think there's a good chance he ends up with the Magic. But, you know, the Celtics at three after the trade with Philly, they could make it interesting. Yeah. Danny Ainge tends to draft kind of on his own beat. Like he doesn't fall in line with what most people think. So, who knows if he throws a screwball into the plans and changes the order up there with what teams are expecting to be available. What do you think, Bob? You think uh, think Isaac's going to the 407? I think it's interesting, you know, beyond Boston, Phoenix at four. I think they've had him in a couple times. Um, the wild card being that there could be a bunch of trades. There's always a ton of trades developing within 48 hours of draft. I think Orlando's an interesting fit. You know, he'd be uh, be close to home. It's a, a team that, that could really use a good jolt. I know you'd be excited to see him down there. And You know, and he's he's a kid with a ton of upside. He's just versatile. And I think people kind of look at the numbers from, you know, his one year in college, and it maybe doesn't knock your socks off. But, man, he does just about everything. He does it so well. And I, I could just see him have a really long career. You know, maybe maybe not an all-star caliber right away, but I think he can develop into one down the road. You hear that, Orlando? Don't screw it up. Good player at sixth. Don't make this uh, don't make this mistake. And uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the the whiffs that they've had over the years. Uh, Reese Gaines. God, I'm going way back there. But just don't screw it up, Orlando. <laughs> take take the guy who who gives a shit about playing basketball and is athletic and can guard multiple positions. I think that you're pretty well set there. All right. Bob, Chris, thanks for joining me. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. This is Brentley Sinone with the Knowles 24-7 podcast. See you. Later.